I know some of you have recently moved to Idaho. I'm sure while you're unloading your moving van at nine, degree, nine degrees above zero, you're going, am I really doing the right thing here? But anyway, if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, as we go through this book. Again, why? Because that's how God will govern the world someday. People a lot of times say, well, how God's going to judge the world someday? Through the Word of God. You already know. So why would you want to not know what God's rules are? I, I always like to know what the rules are. You know, um, you know, it, it always is difficult when you're doing something and somebody says, oh, well, there's a rule. You can't do that. Well, I didn't know about that rule. Well, that's where you get punished. I'd rather know what God has to say about anything than be ignorant. Father, as we go to your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and reveal to us, God, that you're still the same God of the Old Testament as you are in the New. A God that loves, that forgives, restores, and blesses. In Jesus' name, amen. People have often asked, why was God such a God of wrath and fire and brimstone in the Old Testament? Such a God of love and grace in the new. God changed. No, God didn't change. He's a God of grace in the Old Testament as well as in the new. And he's also a God of judgment in the old as he is in the new. When you read again, when you look at Revelation, especially the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus Christ comes back and he defeats the armies of the world in the valley of Megiddo. Well, he says here in chapter 34, verse 1, let's read. And the Lord said to Moses, and by the way, this is great news. After everything that the children of Israel had done, building a golden calf, Moses breaking the first set of of the tablets of stone, God spoke to Moses. I, I like that about God. God is bigger than the things you've done wrong. And God continues to work with you in spite of our failures. Notice he says, God, the Lord spoke to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these stones of tablet the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Now, these uh, that were made eventually ended up in the Ark of the Covenant. That's where they ended up, as well as the staff that budded. We remember a jar of manna, these kinds of things. Okay. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. God would not allow anybody else to come up. You know, they really committed a pretty serious offense building the golden calf. Now, God forgave them. But there's consequences. If we do things, we can separate ourselves from God. Now, God is willing to forgive us, but we got to remember, sometimes there's consequences. And here's a good place for that. So we cut two tablets of stone, like the first ones. Then Moses rose up early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took his hand on the two tablets of stone. So Moses goes up the mountain. Now, he didn't know how long he was going to be up there. God just says, come up, bring the tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name 
of the Lord. Now, I think this is interesting here. You find the cloud or the Shekinah glory of the Lord appearing not only here, but we remember when he would go into the tabernacle, the cloud last week as we studied would come and, and be there in the presence of the doorway. We find that uh, oftentimes the priest in the temple could not minister because of the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It's just the essence of God that was in such a thick way that it was difficult to function when you're overwhelmed with the presence of God. And so he says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord uh, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Is this thing on the verge of echoing, or is it just me? Hello, hello. Ooh, okay, all right. Notice it says, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Just like in the New Testament. God didn't change. It's just the way we approach God. And if we approach God in full of sin, we're going to find the wrath of God. If you approach God in forgiveness, you're going to find the mercy of God. How do we then approach God not full of sin? Well, that's what Jesus did for all of us. He died on the cross for us. Paul says we've wrapped ourselves in his righteousness. And friends, that's what makes you holy. Nothing you have ever done will make you holy. This is one of the dangers and what Paul explains to the churches scattered out through the region of Galatia that we're not justified by the law. The law was meant to show us our need for a savior. We cannot approach God and saying, God, look at all the things that I've done. Look how good I am. When the Bible tells us our righteousness emanates, begins and ends with Christ. It isn't that we can generate righteousness in ourselves. For if we could, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. This is the foolishness of trying to live under the law rather than in the love of Christ. So he tells us, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I want to stop here for just a second because there's endless books written in bookstores on generational curses. I believe that's completely bogus. The Bible says God visits the sins of the parents upon the children. Now, that doesn't mean it's a generational curse. What it means is that there are behaviors that you do, that I do, that will affect others. And more than anybody else, children. When children are in a broken home, for instance, they get their role models, who they'll marry someday, or what they view to be a good spouse from the home. And when the home is broken, this is a weakness that then is in the child. This is why I believe the church is so important, because for those who have a broken home, moms and dads, you can be the fathers to those that have no dad or have no mom. That they'll get a better understanding of what they need as far as what a family is from the body of Christ because their home has been damaged. 
When you stop to think of the babies that were born to crack moms and, and all those different addictions that are out there, those sins of the parents are visited upon the children. When you realize that there's learned behavior in families, well, my daddy drank and his granddaddy drank and that's why I drink. Excuse. But it's ingrained that this is normal life. The sins of the parents are visited upon the children. That's why you don't want to live in sin as a Christian, because the thing is, these are learned behaviors that are passed on, or addictions that are passed on, or mindsets that are passed on to the third and fourth generation, those that hate him. See, this is why, again, we have to be careful. So it isn't an eeny-beeny, chilly-beeny curse it's just learned behavior or, again, um, addictive behavior or, or needs. See, these are all part of what we have in a fallen world. And so he says, Moses made haste and bowed uh, his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon and pardon our iniquity in our sin and take us, us as your inheritance. This is really important because Moses was an intercessor. And an intercessor went between God and people. Now, by the way, everybody, you as a Christian, that's what you are too. The Bible says we are a kingdom of priests and we represent God to the people out there and the people to God. We pray for them, for their lost souls, and we represent God in his mercy and love to them. Now, one of the things that I find here is important. And if you like to underline things in your Bible, you might want to underline this. Even though we are a stiff-necked people, that stiff-necked again comes from the term when you try to plow a field and uh, you'd pull on the reins to turn the, the oxen a certain direction and you'd pull and pull and pull and they would keep going their direction. That's stiff-necked. That, it's a farming term from the old world. Well, what is interesting there though, and if you like to underline things in your Bible, underline the word we. Interestingly enough, Moses includes himself in the rebellion of his people. Now, friends, if you're ever going to be a real minister, you're ever going to be a real pastor, remember, there by the grace of God go I. I know a lot of ministers, I know a lot of people that think that they are better than somebody else. They don't realize what makes them better. What makes you better is Jesus in you, not anything you did. Or didn't do. And yet I run into so many people today that feel that, well, I'm a superior person than you. One of the things that Moses realized is I'm a bozo on this bus like everybody else. Friends, it's the truth. We remember when Moses came down out of the mountain and he had the Ten Commandments in his hand. The one that God gave him when he saw everybody dancing around the golden calf. Anger filled his heart. He took the tablets of stone and threw them down and broke them. God never told him to throw those down and break them. I know there's all kinds of analogies that people use for that, but simply the point is this. 
His anger got to him. Moses realized he was a man of anger. Remember, he killed the Egyptian that was beating up on a couple of Hebrews? Buried him in the sand? Moses had a real issue with with anger. By the way, a lot of us do too. And we like to pass it off. Well, it's that old Irish anger of mine, or it's that old Italian anger. No, it's the old sin nature anger in us is what it is. I'd like to blame my grandparents and parents for their anger. But you know, the the problem is, is that when it don't go our way, we get mad. And, and I'm not saying there isn't righteous anger, because I do believe there is. I think that's a little bit what spawned in Moses, but it caused a reaction where he broke the Ten Commandments that God had made himself. So I look at this and I realize, he said, us, we are a stiff-necked people. And I look at that and I realize if we're going to be a good priest, if we're going to be a good Um, mediator. We're going to remember what it was like when we were. That will keep two things from happening. One, you from talking down to somebody and us exalting ourselves so we no longer can minister to people. See, it's interesting. He said us. He didn't say, yeah, them. He said, yeah, us. And I believe that's really important because, you know, that's why people don't want to go to church. They feel that people are going to judge them. They feel they're going to fail. They feel they're not going to come up to the standard in which church is. Friends, let me tell you something. We're not. We are sinners saved by grace. Yes, now saints, but not because of anything we have done, but because what God has done for us. And so verse 10, and he said, behold, I make a a covenant before your people and I will do marvels such as they have not seen and been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, all the people among whom you are, you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. I like that. God's saying, look, I'm going to do some awesome things for you. In fact, they're going to be so awesome, nobody's ever seen anything like this. Now, friends, I, I read this and I thought, how great it was for them to see that. But you know what? I believe if you walk in the Spirit today, you'll see it as well. You'll see God do things that you would dream would be impossible. I do that a lot of times when I look at the radio network that the Lord has allowed us to run for him. I look at the things that God has done in my life and things that I know I didn't deserve, but God's good. And God doesn't have favorites in what he's done for others. What he's done for them, he'll do for you. All he wants from us is to just say, hey, I want to know you. You know, it's interesting. If you go back to verse 18 of the previous chapter, Moses said, please show me your glory. I like that. Moses said, I want to know more of who you are. The next verse says, and then he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I like that. You want to know God? God says, I want to know you. Isn't that good? You see, the thing is, is that God will answer that desire of our heart. And so he says, this is an awesome thing that I will do with you. 
Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take heed for yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare to you instead. You know what's really weird? Is that things outside of God can snare us. And it can snare us in different ways. It can skew my view of who God is. Do you know today the tendency in the churches of America today and around the world is to bend the word of God to fit the culture of our day? Well, bad isn't all that bad. Good isn't all that good. It's just how you look at it. Well, you know, all the different things that are popularized by Hollywood that now are being mainstream in our culture and in our society. And you go back to the word of God, this archaic book from the Victorian age. What's wrong with it? Hey, we need to modernize. And so we have churches ordaining homosexual pastors, homosexual women. All these things the Bible prohibits. Read Romans chapter 1, New Testament. Very clear what the Bible says. And we find this modernization of the Bible, which is going contrary to what the Spirit of God says. This is now the norm. Well, because this is going on, we don't interpret the data at hand properly. Have you noticed that World War III is kind of like getting ready to start? Have you noticed that? Well, when you stop to think about all these different things that are going on, hey, friends, the Bible says, Jesus said, Matthew 24, the wars and rumors of wars. We have that going on right now. People cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. You look and think about all the different things that have gone on. Remember back in the 60s? Oh, you know, we're just going to have a love in, man. We're, you know, no, make peace, not war. You know, uh, get rid of all your nukes. Get rid of the military. You heard that, remember? If that would have happened, we'd all been speaking Russian right now. Thank God there was a few people that listened. But America's not listening anymore. I uh, had some friends here last week, and they were telling me that they were from, uh, they were missile, rocket science, and, and they said that they were involved in the military. And they said, we are so far behind Russia and China. If you just do a cursory overview, just go home. You don't believe a word I'm saying. Just read about a surprise attack on America by Russia. It's very much a reality, friends. It's not something that is hard to understand, but when the world perceives America is weak, crazy stuff is going to happen. This invasion that we all saw this week against a nation that was at peace. Why would you do this? China is going to make their move on Taiwan. You watch. Because, again, communism is a failed form of government. It takes from everybody else. They say, well, we're going to take from the rich and we're going to redistribute the wealth. And then when all the rich are gone, we're going to take from the middle class and give it to the poor. And then pretty soon there's nothing left. This is the problem with it. When you look at the leadership of Chairman Mao and Joseph Stalin murdering 20 to 30 million of his own fellow Russians. When you look at Mao Zedong murdering between 50 and 60 million Chinese, it is a, it is a party, it is a form of government with no conscience. 
to attack a nation that's at peace. They weren't a threat to Russia, but they have no conscience. But you see, these parties that are now evolving in America, they have no conscience either. How can you murder 70 million babies in the name of abortion and believe that this is okay? You see, this is one of the great problems that we find in our country today. As you depart from God, wickedness comes in. As you adapt the philosophy of the world into your personal lives, into your government, into a global picture, you're going to be skewed. This is why God was warning, don't let their influence influence you. Take heed for yourself, verse 12 again, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare to your midst. But you shall be... But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Well, I thought jealousy was a sin. No, it's interesting. God's a jealous God. Do you know what he's jealous over? You know what God values? You. He don't want to share you with anybody. You might say a loving couple, a husband and a wife, he's jealous for his wife. He doesn't want anybody else to be loving her. He doesn't want anybody, she doesn't want anybody else loving him. You see, jealousy is a sin, but when it comes to us, because we're jealous for the wrong things. I want what you got, give it to me. Covetousness as well. But when we look at really what the Bible says, God wants you all to himself. First of all, that makes me feel pretty good. He don't want to share me. And second of all, God's not jealous for gold or silver. He's jealous for you. Jesus said, behold, I come as a thief. Why does he say that? Because he's coming for what's valuable. You know, it's really weird that people, thieves, when they break into your house, they don't steal your floor mats. Isn't that weird? You know, they, they want to take your, you know, your cameras. They want to take your, your radio. They want to take your, your money, they, you know, whatever they can find. When Jesus said, I'm coming as a thief, he's coming to take something, not gold, not silver. He's coming to take us. I like that. Jesus puts great value on us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. See, that's who God is. He loves you. And you know what? I need to be reminded that I'm loved because we live in a pretty unloving world. All the love that we get out there, and I'm speaking in the world, around us is conditional love. I love you if. God says, I love you, period. And there's a big difference about that. And and by the way, in dating and in love and all those kinds of things, that's what love is. I love you, period. I don't love, well, uh, I love you if you let me. You know, that's the world. We don't want to adapt their philosophy into us. But remember, the ongoing fight is that. The devil wants to infect the church with his poison. Friends, we have to remember that. So if we can move away from the word of God, anything becomes acceptable. I've had people say, Mike, you're so opinionated. I said, yeah, you're right. 
And when you read the Bible, you'll become opinionated too. Why is that? Well, if I don't know what the Bible says, I can truthfully say, true is true if it's true to you. But once you read the Bible, once you know what God has to say, once you know what his statutes are that aren't polluted by the world society, now all of a sudden I have an opinion. I know what God says, and I want what God says to be my opinion. So it isn't that, well, you know, there's a lot of paths to God. No, that ain't what we just read. See, this is why he directed them to go in to the land of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Prezites and all the otherites that were there. They were into pagan idolatry. They worshipped the gods of fertility and uh, the, the bales that had their little arms out and, and they'd heat them up red hot and then put their illegitimate children on the arms of this this stone or 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 uh, carved uh, image of, of Baal, and the little babies would fry. God says, go in and wipe them out. You see, there's certain things that just violate your conscience. And eventually, God will violate them. So he says, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, his name is Jealous, and He is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods and one of them invites you in to you to eat of his sacrifices. He said it's slow, it's calculated that they begin to infect the church. I was uh, talking to a friend, I think I shared this before, but it's worth repeating. I talked to a friend that went to a uh, seminary of a very well-known denomination that has drifted pretty seriously from, from Christianity. And they said in one of the classes, open your sermon with a verse and then move as quickly as you can away from it. Why would you do that? Well, you see, the Word of God is powerful and it's credible, so use it as credibility to bring in the lie. Has that happened before? As a matter of fact, it did. Remember when Jesus was up on the mountain fasting, and towards the end of his fast, Satan came to him and said, all the kingdoms of the world are mine. Mind whomever I want to give them to, if you'll bow down and worship me. What did Jesus come to do? Redeem the kingdoms of the world. Satan is saying, here, here's a shortcut. You don't really got to go to the cross and die. Remember when Peter said that? Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He knew that. But what's weird, subsequently, as the devil was tempting Jesus, now all of a sudden, the devil is quoting the scripture to Jesus, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, for it is written in your word, the angels will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Well, actually, it was a little out of context, but that's what the devil does. When you're in God's will, he protects us. But it's interesting, Satan quotes the Bible to Jesus to give it credibility. Well, now look at this. He says, lest you make a covenant with them, be careful. Verse 16, and you shall take his daughters for your sons and their daughters and play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. 
In other words, watch out for interpersonal relationships. Watch out for marrying people that are in the world. Now, it's all the way through the Bible. This is one of the most important things, whether you're going into a marriage or you're going into business with somebody. Well, they're my, like my friend. I grew up with them or whatever. Hey, listen, if they're not a Christian, they're serving themselves. They're serving the God of this world, the Bible says. You, as a Christian, you're supposed to be serving the king. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Make no covenant with people of the world. This is what, what God is saying here. Why? Because God knows the nature of the heart of men and how we're influenced by society. We're influenced by our friends. We're influenced by television. We're influenced by the theater. We're influenced by all these different things that bring a different philosophy into our minds. And now all of a sudden, I begin to believe those very things because I've been weakened because I don't hear the word of God taught anymore. So he says, You shall make no molded gods for yourself. Now, he goes on and he says, listen, three times a year, you're going to have these different festivals that are going to bring you, going to remind you where you need to be. The first one, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, you shall keep seven days and you shall eat unleavened bread as I command you at appointed time of the month of Abib. And for the month of Abib, you came from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine. Now, by the way, this is an interesting verse right here because everything that opens the womb, the Bible says, God says here, is mine. So if you're a firstborn in your family, I don't know if you know this or not, you belong to God. Isn't that strange? In fact, you'll find oftentimes, if you're the firstborn in a family, that you might end up being the real, maybe the only Christian in the family. But God's design was the firstborn in the family was to be the priest of the family. But it didn't just go there. It was all the animals, everything, the firstborn belonged to God. And so he says, those that open the womb are mine. Every male, firstling among your livestock, ox or sheep. But the firstling of a donkey you shall not redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. In other words, if you don't want to give it to God, then it doesn't, it shouldn't live because it ultimately belongs to God anyway. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem and none of them shall appear before me empty handed. So he said, basically, we need to have something that we offer to God. Six days you will work. But on the seventh, you will rest in plowing time, harvest, you will, you shall rest and shall observe the feast of weeks, the, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of gatherings at the year's end. Uh, the, very similar to what we have, what we call Thanksgiving. The first fruits came in. It wasn't what was left over and it was maimed and mangy. Oh, we'll give this to God. Maybe you can use it. No, you brought the best to God and that was the way God did it. And he said, three times a year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will I, neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times a year. So it's interesting that he said, hey, listen, a nation needs to knowledge God three times a year. 
And you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor the sacrifice of feast of Passover be left until morning. By the way, we all know leaven is bacteria. Louis Pasteur, remember looking through his microscope, saw the wee little beasties, realizing that as that uh, rots, it gives off the gas, causes the bread to rise. Now, again, when you stop to think about it a minute, um, leaven is in part, it's a, it's a bacteria in the grape juice that causes it to ferment, causes the bubbles. Same thing. So he, he says here, don't offer that. God doesn't want anything offered to him with bacteria in it. I, long before they ever figured out what leaven was, even God said, hey, uh, this is, um, is a part of, uh, of rotting actually. So he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. The first of the fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord, your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This was what the Canaanites were doing as a fertility rite, that somehow this was going to uh, cause this kind of uh, fertility to go on, whatever. God says, don't do that. It's just weird stuff. And he says, so write these words according to the tenor of the words which I made a covenant with you and Israel. So he was there, the Lord, 40 days, 40 nights, neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote the tablets of the words on the command uh, uh, of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God gave him a copy, if you will. Now, he said he didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days. How can that be? Well, friends, all I can tell you is this. Jesus said that we we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That may have been a very much a fulfillment concerning Moses. I do know this, that God's able to sustain us when no other way can. And we know, of course, Jesus fasted for 40 days as well. Verse 29, and so it was Moses came down from Mount Sinai. And the two tablets of this testimony were in Moses's hand when he came down from the mountain and Moses did not know the skin of his face shown why he talked with them. So he'd been with God. His face was shining. He didn't know it. And as we're going to read, everybody else did. By the way, when you spend time with God, your face shines. You may not know it, but people around you see a different countenance in you than what they see in the world. Do you know there's not a lot of answers in the world right now? Have you noticed that? Nobody knows what to do. How do you stop Russia? How do you stop all the crazy stuff going on? Hey, the new big thing, catalytic converters. Have you heard about that? They find some guy you can laying under your car with a sawzall, sawing parts of your car out. It's epidemic. It's costing America millions of dollars. The police departments don't know what to do about it. And you look at this and you go, we, we live in a world gone crazy. Another big thing right now, to steal, you won't believe it, beehives. Yeah, they're going onto farmer's fields and stealing beehives. It seems like whatever they can get to take, this is a condition of a lawless country. And by the way, friends, lawless countries bring about totalitarian government. This is what Hitler did. 
He released 2,000 of the most hardened criminals in Germany, and I believe it was 1934. He released them. And of course, the, the uh, crime rate just skyrocketed because of all these criminals now out in, uh, back out in the public again. And so he had a friendly gun registration. Well, you know, I'm going to do this just, just temporarily. And he disarmed the German people so he could do whatever he wanted to do. And you look and see today what's going on. You know, it's, I just wish our government would do what it's supposed to do, like have a good military and protect our borders. But they don't do that. They don't do any of that. They're designing your gas cans. Have you tried to get gas out of a gas can lately? If you've tried that, that's quite a feat. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to push down, twist, turn, and you know, there's no vent hole. So, glug, 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 and I'm going, ah! Why don't you do what you're supposed to do and stop doing what you're not supposed to do? But you see, we live in a fractured society. Friends, I believe Jesus is coming back very soon. Your face shines because you've been with the Lord. You may not know it. Moses didn't know it, but everybody around Moses did. Notice it says, And so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses was talking with them. Afterwards, the children of Israel came near, and he gave them them as the commandment of, of he gave them as commandments all the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Now. It's really weird because why did he put a veil on his face? Well, you know, he was just really glowing and didn't want to blind everybody. Um, He kind of got, I know, it was COVID. First place in the Bible. Here you go. Do you know what the Bible says? If you go to uh, 2 Corinthians 3.13, Paul says the reason why he had a veil on his face is the glory of God. That glow that he had was diminishing. And he didn't want the people to see it diminish. But you know what? Moses and the law, the same thing. It diminished because God had something new for everyone. You see... You represent God to the people and the people to God. And I don't believe we really understand how important that is in our world today because you're the last glimmer of hope for the world. Do you realize that? Without you, they're lost forever. And so to take every opportunity that we can, listen, if you're in a store and you see somebody over in the corner crying, don't feel bad about walking up and say. Can, can I help you? Or if you see a mom and, 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 and the kids are going crazy, rather than saying, oh, I, you know, I heard this story about this man. He used to ride every Sunday uh, by uh, the uh, subway. He used to ride on it to go see his 
mother on Sunday. And, and he would go regularly every Sunday. That's what he would do is just go up and see his mom on Sunday. He said, one Sunday, he said, this woman got on the train, on the, on the subway, and she had these, no, excuse me, he had these kids. It was a guy that got on. He had all these kids, and they were running and jumping on the seats and going crazy. And this guy who usually enjoyed his ride to see his mother, reading his paper and drinking his coffee, now has a zoo going on in front of him. And he looked over at the man, and he said, Would you please control your kids? And the man looked over at him and he said, well, I'm really sorry. Their mom just died yesterday and they're all messed up. They can't sleep. They don't. And the man said, I felt so bad. Because, see, it's so easy to judge something without knowing what the conditions are. The kids hadn't slept all night. They were heartbroken. They were mad. They were angry. All this stuff going on. And he said, the only thing I was concerned about was my newspaper and my cup of coffee. And he said, this is the problem that we have in a world today where we have become so center-focused that the only time I'll say anything is when it's an inconvenience to me rather than having an eye for the loss, saying, why are you crying? Is there anything I can do to help you with your kids? Is there anything I can do to make your life a little better? You see, friends, that, I believe, is what the Christian heart is. When Moses said, we are stiff-necked people. You see, I want to remember how much God has saved me from. I want to remember how much God has forgiven me for. You know, it isn't maybe sometimes to you sin to you really understand your need to be forgiven. The Bible says where sin abounds, that much more grace abounds. Should we go sin then so grace abounds? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when you sin and you realize God's forgiven you, then all of a sudden you realize how God wants to minister to them. You see, I don't want to forget the hole from which I was dug and the pit from which I was drawn. And when I do that, then I become arrogant and I can say, too bad about you. See, once again, Moses' face was glowing. He'd been in the presence of God. You, because you're in fellowship, because you know God, your face glows too. In fact, you don't oftentimes know it. Moses didn't know it. But the people around him did. And I believe the people around you see that as well. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever the Lord had commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone, Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. I look at this and I I think something interesting. I think that, you know, people know you have a relationship with God. They may not understand. And I I think a lot of people right now are like really hungry. You know, if if the bombs fall, well, where will you be? I don't know. I look at these poor people in the Ukraine and my heart breaks for them. 
This one lady I saw last night interviewed on Fox News. She says, why are they doing this to us? We didn't do anything to them. But you see, this is the mentality of the world. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you better start really thinking about it. Because I believe you're running out of time. You know, the Bible says the Lord's going to take his church home. And then the world's going to get what they always wanted, a world without God. The dawning of the age of Aquarius? John Lennon, the world will be as one? No, the Bible says, Revelation 16, unless those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. That's how bad it's going to get. No dawning of the age of Aquarius. No nothing. This morning I pray that if you've never prayed and asked the Lord in your life, this would be your day. You see, Jesus died on the cross for you to cleanse you from your sins so you could be reconciled to the Father. That's what God wants. Because when you belong to the Lord, you know why you're here. Even our own constitution, our Bill Declaration of Independence, we were endowed by a creator, friends. Have you spent five minutes to find out what this creator wants from you? Or do you have the communistic view that you are evolved? You're a cosmic accident when lightning hit a swamp, created a bunch of squiggly things, Squiggly things grew fins, grew legs, crawled out of the swamp, grew hair, became truck drivers. Is that what you believe? Just throw a couple billion years in there. Well, you see, there's a big difference. When you realize that you are divinely, wonderfully made, no one has ever been like you on this planet, no one will ever be like you ever again. Wouldn't it be nice to know the one that made you has a calling for you and what he wants you to do for him. You say, well, I don't know how he would use me. I don't have any special talents or gifts. Oh, but that's where the Holy Spirit's power of the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you gifts. He will use not only what you have naturally, but oftentimes, well, I should say oftentimes, he'll use what you have naturally, but he'll supernaturally supercharge you for what he wants you to do. This morning, if you've never prayed, ask Christ in your life. We're going to pray right now. Those listening by radio, internet, you pray too. And let the Lord just change your life. But it begins somewhere, begins with a prayer, but God will show you your whole life is goodness. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive my sins. All the things I've done wrong. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose from the dead. His blood covered my sins. So now I ask you to restore me and bless me and heal me. Write my name in your book of life that I can spend eternity with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'll be about your business. And I thank you, God, I never have to be scared of dying ever again. And so, Lord, now I commit my life into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.